0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Today is the final weekend of our series New Year, New You. And it's around this time of year that many of us are often thinking about the goals and our dreams, our aspirations, the things maybe that we want to work on, things we want to start doing or things that maybe we want to stop doing. It's also right around three weeks in that probably for many of us we've given up on those resolutions or we've maybe stopped going to the gym that we've already paid the year-long membership for. Um, But when we talk about this idea of a new year and a new you, um, what you probably already know and realize is there's not really something magical about a new year. It's not like suddenly the date changes on a calendar and you're suddenly a different person. Right? But, but as we talk about this, as we talk about the new you, we're using this new year to, to emphasize a truth and a reality that God speaks about us. And that, and that promise that, that Paul records in 2 Corinthians 5, he describes it by saying, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. And so maybe you're not a new you because the date changed on the calendar, but because of the work of Jesus, Jesus has made you new. And the challenge when we are made new is there are a lot of old ways of thinking and old habits and old Old ideas that we continue to live in. Although we've been made new, we often don't know what it looks like to live as a new creation. And so there's often this battle, the battle between the old and the new. And so I want to challenge us and I want to dig into what it might look like to live as the new creation. To be who God made us to be. If you could open your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 6. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1816. Now, as we dig into this text, what we'll find is the Apostle Paul will help us think about what it means to live by the Spirit. When you hear that word, live by the Spirit, he is talking about the new creation. Living by the Spirit means having faith and believing that when Jesus says we're made new, that we have actually been made new. That that is who we are. And the challenge for many of us is because we don't believe we are who Jesus says we are as we'll begin to compare ourselves to other people. That we find points of comparison to become the way that we measure our worth. And so we look to another person and say, all right, what are, what are they like? What are they doing? And so we'll make a measurement. Am I better than them? Am I worse than them? Am, am I living my life like they are living their life? The problem is that comparison doesn't work very well. And the Apostle Paul, when he talks about being this new creation and living by the Spirit, he will go after that because comparison always happens because we are searching for our identity. It happens because we are trying to figure out who we are. But for many of us, what we have decided to do is we don't look to Jesus to determine who we are. We look to somebody else. We look to somebody else to determine, am I good? Am I bad? Am I measuring up? Am I successful? Am I worthwhile? And so the Apostle Paul is going to teach us and help us dig in. Now, one of the best ways that I can, I can help illustrate for us and help us understand the failure of comparison is with dieting. Because I think there's no better area in our life to really understand that when you compare your diet to another person, you always fail. Like, there is, like you can compare and you always can determine you have, are on the better diet or you are on the worst diet, no, like no matter what. Um, I, I found this online. I don't know the original source, but here's an example. Eat five small meals per day and run. Also, eat only breakfast, dinner, and walk. Also, eat lots of protein and lift. And don't even do any cardio. It's bad for your joints. Also, don't eat too much protein, and make sure you're sleeping a lot, but don't be sedentary. Don't, don't be too active. It's bad for your blood pressure. Make sure you replace all your lost salt, but never eat too much sodium. It's easy. Just eat vegetables. Don't eat potatoes, though, or corn. Fruit is obviously good for you, and also it's all sugar and is bad for you. Sugar, I forgot to mention, is a vital source for, of quick-burning carbohydrates that your brain needs to survive, and you should avoid it at all costs. Protein is hurting your kidneys. Make sure you eat a lot of it. Drink water. Never starve yourself unless you're calling it intermittent fasting. Then it's okay to starve yourself a little bit. Don't overhydrate. Being a vegan is obviously the healthiest lifestyle, and no, it's not. Fish is obviously super good for you, and it's full of mercury and killing you. Get some sun every day for vitamin D and skin cancer. (laughs) Comparison doesn't work. Because when we compare, we always lose. We either falsely believe we're better or we despair because we can never measure up. Comparison is a losing battle. And so when the Apostle Paul wants to help us understand what it means to live by the Spirit, he says, stop looking at other people. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Stop looking around and saying, all right, am I I good, am I better? Instead, look at Jesus. And who does Jesus say you are? And so I want to read for us beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6. It says this, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Comparison is a trap. The challenge is it's also normal. It's easy. We are used to it. And what we find in this is Paul, when he wants to help us understand what it means to live by the Spirit, it means we trust Jesus, we follow Jesus, we look to Jesus. It means we don't look to other people. We don't measure ourselves against other people. And so that's why Paul then says, each one should test their own actions. Meaning your responsibility is not judgment on the person next to you's actions. It's not to determine whether or not they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Now, there might be times, right, because we are called to be the body of Christ and we're called a family, somebody might invite you into that kind of relationship where you can begin to test and you can begin to help restore a person and, and, and help a person work on their sin. But the responsibility, the, way we, the place we look first is we test our own actions. It's a responsibility to ask ourselves, am I being who God created me to be? And he says, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. See, the problem that Paul wants to help illustrate for us and help us understand, the problem isn't actually pride. In fact, Paul would probably even say, like, you can be proud of doing the right thing. Like, as you follow Jesus, the, the fact that you listen to Jesus and ob- were obedient to Jesus and trusted and followed Jesus, be proud of that. But don't take pride in the fact that you're better than somebody else. That's not the kind of pride we're after because it's a false pride that has nothing to do with whether or not you're even trusting or following Jesus. And see when we when we compare we falsely feel pride or we falsely feel despair that either of which is not helpful. And then Paul says, for each one should carry their own load. Now it can be a little bit challenging because in verse 2 he seems to say the complete opposite. But in this context, he is is speaking, carrying their own load directly to the same in the in the same conversation about testing your own actions. In other words, he said, "You need to be responsible for you. Take responsibility for your actions, for living in light of who you are and who God has made you to be. Stop trying to be a better version of somebody else, and start taking responsibility for being and becoming." the person that God wants you to be. We're not responsible for other people. We're not responsible for their choices. Jesus wants to help you become the you he sees in you. And the incredible thing, like in being, becoming a new creation, Jesus actually sees something in you before you see it in yourself. Like Jesus sees something that he had in mind when you were knit together in your mother's womb. You, never, you don't even see this. And so Jesus sees something in you. He calls something out in you and he invites you into that. And not only that, but the way you become the you that Jesus sees in you is Jesus doesn't work on you. It's not because you start comparing yourself to other people and try to say, all right, I want to do what they're going to do. I'm going to try to measure up to that. No, you become the you that Jesus sees in you because you are, begin to, to become who Jesus makes you. Jesus makes you into that person. He shapes you and molds you into that new creation. See, Jesus isn't interested in you becoming the kind of dad that I'm a dad. And while we might be able to learn some things from, a, from one another, Jesus is interested in you as a dad becoming the dad he sees you to be. He wants to use your gifts and your personality and your passions to help you become the version of a dad that he sees in you. Jesus isn't interested in you becoming a mom like the mom you follow on Instagram. And while you can learn some things and be challenged in some ways, Jesus is interested in you becoming the kind of mom he sees in you. Jesus isn't interested in your faith becoming my faith. And while we might have some common denominators in our faith, we trust in the same thing. We we both cling to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus wants you to be you. He wants your faith to grow the way your faith grows. See, here's the incredible thing about that. Like if we really are a family, if we really are the body of Christ, what that means is as you become the person that God made you to be and as I become the person that God made me to be together, we help one another. See, when you try to be me, you'll never actually be helpful to me. Like I'm really good at my own way of thinking. I don't need somebody else to think like I do. I don't need any help with that. I don't need somebody to come along and say the exact same things that I already think and that I already believe and the questions I'm already asking. Like, I don't need more of that. When you try to be me, it's not actually going to be helpful to me. But when you learn to become the you that God sees in you, you'll be exactly what I need. And so what if we stopped comparing and we started becoming the people that God sees in us? To live in light of that, because when you begin to see yourself the way that Jesus sees you, it will also begin to change the way you see other people. It will be, change the way you, you live, the way you love and respond to the people around you. And so, Paul here talks about two significant ways that we live by the Spirit that would be restoring others and carrying each other's burdens. And so, he says, You who live by the Spirit, you should restore the person gently. Now, the word here, restore, is an interesting word. It's actually a medical term. And so it's, it's used when, when it talks about the idea of restoring something to its former condition. It would be used in the context of like a broken bone. Restoring, restoring gently is the, is the same term that would be used that you restore a broken bone, you set the broken bone, which is a little bit painful, which is why he also has to say, do it gently. It's, it's used for broken bones or dislocated joints. And what's interesting about that is if we think about it, like if you if you break a bone and you leave it untouched, like that's going to create some big problems, isn't it? Like you can't ignore the problem. You have to set the broken bone. You have to do something about it. And I think there are two incredibly big problems that happen often in the church when it comes to our sin: denial and failing to move beyond a diagnosis. Because we see the broken bone, we see it, and we're like, "I do not want to deal with that." And so, and so because it's easier to say, I, you know what, we're, we're just not gonna talk about sin. We're not gonna go to those places. We're not gonna have those difficult conversations. I don't want to see that. Or maybe the conflict is hard. Like you'd rather withdraw from the conflict than actually have the conflict. And so we live in denial. We pretend there, there is no broken bone. That there is no sin. That We don't have to have those conversations. We don't have to deal with those things. But if we don't deal with those things, there is no restoration. There is no healing. The other problem would be, like, like, imagine, like, if you showed up at, at, the, at the doctor, you took an x-ray, and he's like, yep, there is a broken bone, we got a problem, and the doctor's like, ooh, I don't do that. Like, like, no, like, ah, like I don't want, like, it's going to be a little painful, I just don't want to do that, and they're like, but, but hey, but good news, you know you have a broken bone, like, congratulations, you know the diagnosis. And sometimes we'll even do this with the church. Like, we'll come in and we'll be like, oh, man, like, I'm ready and I'm here. And then and it will, it'll feel like, man, man, I got wrecked today. Like I, I, like, I know the problem. And then we'll leave, like, and we'll feel good. We'll feel good about feeling bad. Like, oh, I know the problem. And then it's like, well, what are you doing with that? Oh, nothing. But I know the problem. See, that's not the point. The point isn't the diagnosis. Like, Like, you realize that, right? Like, if you're coming here to get a good diagnosis and that's it, you're wasting your time. That's not going to help you get better. The point of a diagnosis is healing. The point of a diagnosis is looking to the one who can actually heal. And the thing that takes our eyes off of the solution every time, it's so much easier to look everywhere else comparison always gets in the way of restoration because we might know the problem but it's just it's just so much easier. like we know all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but it's way easier to compare distances like I fall short but you fell way shorter than I did and so we'll look like like I got a broken bone but man look how bad theirs is and so we'll watch somebody go into the ER to deal with their problem and we'll ignore the symptoms of our own And so what Paul wants us to do, he says, if you know who you are, you will begin to come alongside another people and help them discover who they are by helping them work through sin and the things that they are believing. And he says, now do it gently because it's painful, it's difficult work, but it's important. Jesus himself said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And so I ask you, as you live by the Spirit, as you live as a new creation, do you have those kind of people in your life? The kind of people who can have the difficult conversation, yet do it gently. Who can point you in the right direction and do it with love and care. Now, now sometimes there's a different type of caring for another person that's less about restoring a person gently, and it's more about a burden that a person carries. In verse 2, Paul wrote, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. There is no person in this world who doesn't carry some kind of burden. Like, that, because of the brokenness of this world, because of sin, because of just the way humanity is, there is no person who doesn't have a burden. And so some of that burden is because of our own sin. Like, we know the things we've said. We know the things we've done. We know the choices. We've seen the impact of that. And so we experience the burden of guilt. We know God says do this and we don't do that. We can measure ourselves very easily. We can rattle off the Ten Commandments and like broke that one, broke that one, broke that one. Right? We we know we feel the guilt. We experience the burden of shame because suddenly we begin to believe some lies about what those sins say about who we are, or we believe somebody else's words when they told us who we are. And we experience this burden. We begin to experience Fear because we're not measuring up, because we're not good enough, because we're gonna be punished. And then not only is there the burden of, of our own sin, but there's just the burdens of living life in a broken world. Burdens like sorrow and worry and doubt and failure and loneliness and depression and divorce, responsibility, confusion. And what God tells us is he didn't create us to carry burdens alone. That's not the way he made us. He made us to have those burdens carried. In fact, the whole message of Jesus is just that, that he came to lift the burdens. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burden, and I'll give you rest. But the reason you get rest is because Jesus lifts those burdens. In Psalm chapter 55, it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Right? How does that sustain you? Why? Jesus carries those burdens so you don't have to, which allows you to keep going. Jesus is a burden carrier. When Jesus carried the cross, he carried the weight of all of the guilt and the shame and the fear you might experience. When Jesus rose from the dead, any of those burdens that you might feel like is stopping you from living, Jesus said, well, if death can't stop me, there is no burden that you experience that can stop me either. And then he calls us to do the same thing for other people. When he invites us to live as a new creation, he invites us to become burden carriers, to come alongside other people and carry one another. And that's difficult work. In fact, it's actually a lot less like like setting a broken bone and more like carrying a stretcher. Or if you're a medical professional, this is actually a backboard because I'm not a medical professional. I just study the Bible. Um, But here, here's the thing. If we're carrying each other's burdens, it is, it is less like restoring a person gently. And, it, and, and when you carry another person's burdens, like there is a weight to it. You can feel it. It's heavy. It's hard. It's difficult. And there are two things that are pretty significant. Like if you're on, the, on this backboard, you can't get yourself to the ambulance. You can't carry your own backboard. You can't carry yourself. Like it doesn't matter how much faith you have. It doesn't matter how dedicated you are, how passionate you are. You can't get yourself to what you need. You're laying here, you're strapped in and the only way you get what you need is if somebody else carries you there. You can't carry it yourself. And some of you are trying to carry your own burdens and Jesus doesn't want you to carry your own burdens. He didn't create you to carry your own burdens. And not only that, like if you show up and you are and you are on the scene and somebody is on this board, you're not gonna be able to lift it by yourself. Like you can try, you can try to get creative, but it's gonna be a little bit heavy by yourself. You can try to be like, all right, maybe I'll like drag them on my back, and like that's not gonna be safe though, especially if like it's a neck injury. That's probably gonna be create a problem. Also, why I'm not in the medical profession. But, but here's the thing, like you can't carry it alone. You can't carry your own backboard. You can't carry it by yourself. You need other people. Jesus didn't create you to bear your own burdens. And he didn't create you to carry another person's burdens by yourself. So you know what happens when you try to carry another person's burdens by yourself? You feel crushed. Crushed. Like you feel this weight and this this reality that I can't do it. And see so what Jesus has been teaching me is that in those moments when I feel like I can't carry the burdens, that I don't carry burdens alone. I don't carry burdens alone because it is actually Christ who is in me. That as I carry burdens, I carry them with Jesus. Jesus, the, care, the burden carrier, actually carries the burdens alongside of me. And Paul says, it's in doing this that we so fulfill the law of Christ. The commandment that Jesus said is the most important. Love God, love others. And so as we carry another person's burdens, we are loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's what God created us to do for one another. In the book of Mark, Mark records an event where Jesus is teaching at a house in Capernaum. And so the crowds have shown up at this house because they want to hear Jesus teach. And there are four men who decide they're not going to the house. They're going to see their friend. And these four men, they show up because they have a friend who's paralyzed, And so as he lies on the mat, they decide instead of them trying to get in to hear and to see and to experience Jesus, they have a friend who needs to see Jesus, a friend who can't carry himself to Jesus. But if they all grab a corner, they can get him to Jesus. And so they carry this friend. They get to the house. Now the house is packed. There's no way into the house. And so one of them has this brilliant idea. How about we just go through the roof? Like, why? why, That's what you do. And so they, they go up to the roof and start digging into the roof in order to get their friend to Jesus. If you want to know the kind of friends you need to have, have those kind of friends. Have the kind of friends who aren't going to try to first go to Jesus just because they, because they need it. They're going to go and find you and say, I need to get you to Jesus. And not only that, but when obstacles get in the way of getting you to Jesus, some of them are going to have a crazy idea and say, I don't care that we can't get to Jesus. We're going to find a way to get you to Jesus. And I can't help but think, like, what is going through his mind when he's being lowered to Jesus? Maybe He's nervous. Like, there's crowds there. Like, he was not, like, an, an illustration that was planned. And so, like, as he's going down, like, is he, like, wondering, like, oh, all these people are looking at me. Like, I'm not prepared for this. Or maybe he has doubts. Like, did you know the text doesn't actually tell us that he had faith in Jesus? Which is really an interesting thing. There's not very many places. Like, often we see Jesus heal, and he, and he actually points to their faith. In this account, Jesus actually says, Jesus looks at their faith, meaning the faith of the friends. And so like, is he being lowered and be like, all right, guys, like you brought me to Jesus. I don't know if this Jesus guy can do what you say he's going to do. And then he's like lowering down and Jesus looks at the friends. He's like, all right, you believe. So you brought him to Jesus. Now let me, let me show you what I'm going to do. And so then he's laying in front of Jesus and Jesus looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. And I imagine in my mind, like the friends looking like, oh, what's that about? And I, but I also imagine like the paralyzed man feeling this burden lifted that nobody else even knew about. Because everybody knew about the burden that left him trapped on that map, but not everybody knew the things going on inside his heart. And Jesus first deals with the heart. And then Jesus does a miracle because he reads the minds of all the people who are so upset that Jesus said he can forgive sins. And Jesus is like, well, just to prove that I can forgive sins, he says to that man, get up, take your mat, and walk. And what an incredible picture. Because he couldn't carry his mat to get to Jesus, but when Jesus does what only Jesus can do, he carries his mat out of that building. And when you and I have people in our life who carry our burdens, who bring us to Jesus, we might not be able to get ourselves to Jesus, but we can walk with freedom out the door. And these friends do what Jesus calls us to do, to carry each other's burdens. And the thing that is so powerful about how they choose to carry the burdens is they carry burdens with the destination in mind. The goal isn't easing the load. That's not the point. Because if you just try to carry another person's burdens just to make their load lighter, eventually you're going to get tired too. You might be able to help them last a little bit longer, but the goal isn't just to ease the load. The goal is to bring it to Jesus. The goal isn't just to make their burden less. The goal is that their burdens go away, that their burdens go to Jesus. And so we carry burdens with the destination in mind because we can't just carry the burdens indefinitely, and it's pointless to. And so what if we just brought the burdens to Jesus? Suddenly, that fear of not being strong enough to show up in the life of somebody else Goes away because you're not carrying it in your own strength, you're carrying it alongside Jesus. And not only that, you're only carrying it to Jesus. Like you're not dealing with it, you're just bringing it to the one who can deal with it. And so I want to challenge us to think about who are those people that God has called us to be burden carriers for? Who does Jesus want you to bring to Him? See, I believe this is one of the best things that we can do for another person. To bring them to Jesus. To be the kind of person that says, I'm not going to let any obstacles get in in my way. I'm going to bring you to Jesus. And you might even have a burden that you don't know you have, but I'm going to bring you to Jesus. I'm going to bring you before my Father. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to bring you to them. I'm going to bring you to Jesus and watch Jesus do what only Jesus can do. And see, I know for myself, I know if it's up to me, I'm not strong enough to do that. I know for, for many of you, you often think, when you think about the burdens and the people in your life, often the feeling is like, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. And so what I've been reminding myself is I don't carry those burdens alone. And so I may not know what to do or what to say or how to do it, but Christ who is in me does. And so I don't carry those burdens by myself, and I carry them to Jesus, the one who lifts those burdens. And so the way that I've been doing this in my life is as I pray, I've been asking God, God, who are those people? Asking God to speak and to show me who the people are that he wants me to carry burdens for. And as God places friends and family on my heart and in my mind, I've been then picturing and imagining what would it look like for me to bring them to Jesus. To actually picture in my mind walking with them to Jesus, maybe grabbing them by the hand, maybe even seeing. All right, who are the some of the people they want to run to Jesus? Other people they're a little resistant to going to Jesus. And then what do I talk to them about when I'm taking them to Jesus? And what does Jesus say when I bring them to Jesus? What does Jesus say to me? What does Jesus say to them? And see what I can always be confident in that moment was when I bring somebody to Jesus, Jesus always lifts burdens. That's what Jesus always is. That is who he is. And so as we close our service, what I want to invite you to do is ask God to speak to you. To put somebody on your heart, somebody in your mind that you might be a burden carrier for. And maybe that's somebody you know their burdens. Maybe God's going to put on your heart or your mind somebody a name comes to mind and you don't even know their burdens. I would guess that it's safe to assume that they have one. And so I go whatever the, I would go whatever the first name that comes to your mind is who God is speaking to you and I would listen and pray and bring them to Jesus. And so we're going to pray and we're going to have space for you to listen to be quiet and to whatever name comes on your heart to bring that to Jesus, and then we will spend some time preparing to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Jesus, we know that you are the burden carrier, and you invite us to do the same. And as we carry each other's burdens, we also know that we don't carry them alone, but you carry them alongside of us. And so I just pray, knowing that you speak to us, that you would... Show us in our hearts, in our minds, the people you want us to be carrying burdens for. I pray that you would help us to hear, that you would help us to listen, that you would help us to know who it is that you have placed in our lives or placed in our hearts because they so desperately need what only you can offer. Jesus, who is the burden carrier, not only wants to carry the burdens of whoever is on your heart, but he also invites you to let him carry your burdens. So we also in this moment pray and we ask God to show us the burdens that we're carrying. The burdens because of sin, the burdens that we experience because of guilt and shame and fear because of the things that we've said, because of the things we've done or failed to do. We ask God that you would hear us in these moments as we confess to you our sin. The promise of Jesus is that there is no burden that is too heavy for Jesus. And he says to you with confidence that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.